News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio where you want it, when you want it. Thanks for listening on this beautiful Sunday morning. I'm Brittany Cafe here with Jill Van Divendijk. We've got Rick Van Divendijk on the line. Good morning, Jill and Rick. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? The weather seems to finally be turning around. It actually feels like spring. I have my fingers crossed under the desk. The sun was beating through the window and you could hear the birds chirping outside. And it definitely felt like a spring morning for sure. Well, yes, yesterday I flew to Winnipeg and... uh, and it was white right from Saskatoon all the way just just before Winnipeg, and then it sort of got brown again. But but uh, but yeah, no, it's it was definitely totally white. It was uh, so now the sun's going to come out, and now this week things should start turning around, and maybe we got winter over. Fingers crossed. Don't say it too loud. You might you might jinx it. <laughs> we'll get another snowfall. It was so exciting yesterday as well. We had our first shipment of bedding plants arrive into the store and starting to see the pansies and petunias and some of the vegetable plants roll in, the herbs. It just, you could see the look on the customers' faces and the staff were literally skipping. It was so much fun. <laughs> All right. If you have a question, you can send us a text or give us a call. Our number is one 332 8255 So as this snow has been going away, coming back, going away again, my lawn looks pretty disgusting. Yeah. Let's talk about lawn care for a little bit. My lawn is having a little bit of troubles as well, too. So uh, one of the first things that I've had questions about this week, and Rick, maybe you can help us out with this, is... Um, people are saying, should I rake my lawn to get rid of the snow mold or should I be leaving some of those leaves there because that's where the bees and the ladybugs and everything is sitting? When is the right time to start raking my lawn, Rick? Yeah, when you basically rake the lawn anywhere, the only place you want to really leave alone for a little bit, like for the same reason you said, it's a harbor for all the insects where where the the birds go and forage around like the robins and everything else. But in the lawn, you want to rake it up so that you just loosen with a leaf, even just a leaf rake, just loosen it up because now with that fresh amount of snow again, you don't want to, you want to loosen it up and get make sure there's no snow mold growing underneath it and and just get some air into where the roots are so that that it will start to be able to green up with all this moisture now. Uh, you watch, we're talking about, you know, maybe up around Wednesday, around 15 degrees, and then next week we're going to be up around 20 degrees. So um, so things will, all of a sudden, you know, we're going to be putting away our snow shovels for the second time, and then we'll be bringing out the lawnmower. Okay, and then I have some areas in my yard where there's some spots. There's one spot that's about four feet wide, and everything else looks like it's coming up nicely, but that already looks like it's a big yellow spot. Should I be no. putting some seed down in that area or um, putting adding some fer- extra fertilizer to make it green up, or what should I do there? Yeah, if you have some spots where you have some seed, like I know there's a lot of people calling in, what do I do with all of my dog spots in the lawn, you know, because mm-hmm. that's showing up now. So the best thing to do with that is that you got to wait for a little bit longer and wait wait till the, uh, unless you want to bring some pails of water out and leach those areas out with, with a little heavy dose of water, it'll just dilute what's all there. And then you can just rake it up and then you can put some seed over top of it. Uh, fertilizer, a little bit earlier for fertilizer yet, because we could get some warm weather and then but the nighttime temperatures until we get into May are still going to be cool, so I don't want to force it. So I'm going to wait until right to the end of April or beginning of May before I'm going to put my fertilizer down. Okay. And now the area in my yard is not a spot on my grass caused by animals because I don't have any animals. So what else could that be? Well, then you could, it could be a bunch of things. It could be that snow mold would have, might have done that if there's a big mm-hmm. pile of snow there from the side of the lawn. 
that well, that could have made that patch like that, or you could have had some other fungals in there from the previous year already. So oh, yeah. uh, it's always the same spot yeah. every year. Yeah, if it's the same spot every year, it could be a fungal or it could be an insect that you may have. You may have you may have sod webworm or, you know, like a, a cutworm. You could be a bunch of things. So what you have to do is you have to basically later on once the activity gets going, you need to dig up the at the edge of that and see if there's any insects. You'll see them just underneath where the roots are. Uh, but otherwise, if it's if it's a, if it's a fungal, then take some pictures, bring a little sample into your local garden center, and then uh, get get it uh, diagnosed and see what you can find out. Yeah, if it's a uh, fungal, I could probably spray it with a garden fungicide or a sulfur spray too. Correct? That's correct. And more like copper copper sulfate. Okay, and will that help with the snow mold as well? Uh, so snow mold, uh, you can you have to put basically the snow mold that'll be keep it from uh, to keep it from coming because uh, copper sulfate are preventives, they're not cures. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what you want to do is you want to put that down in the fall as late as you can, okay. and then it'll prevent it from coming. But all you can do is uh, if you're going to put it down for snow mold, uh, once you use the rake, that's all you don't need to use any chemical. Just use a rake; it'll dissipate it very quickly. Okay, awesome. See, we we got our yards all figured out, Brittany. <laughs> there we go. We do have a text from Rocky Rick. Uh, they're wondering, is it too early to utilize all of the extra surface moisture and plant grass seed? Is that actually, would would it help planting it yeah. when it's wet? Yeah, yeah it's, as long as you can actually level the soil out, because it might be too wet to even work the soil. But you can put the seed down. I know I put seed down back last October, just after, before, so that the seed wouldn't germinate, so it would come up first thing in the spring. So it would be no different than doing it right now. If you want to put the seed down, it's not going to hurt it. And as soon as the soil warms up, to a warm enough temperature, usually around 10 degrees. And then that, that seed after that, five to seven days later, it'll germinate and you'll have a head start. And you'll want to keep that, that soil moist as well, too. So if we start getting a lot of really, really hot, sunny days and we don't have any snow and it's really dry, then you'll want to add some moisture to the yard, too. Yeah, after it germinates, you want to keep it moist. Mm-hmm. Uh, before it germinates is really not that that necessary because, the, like I said, it won't germinate until the soil exactly. temperature this time of the year gets warm enough. Awesome. Okay, if you have a question, send us a text at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. We do have a question from Lorraine near Saskatoon. Lorraine got a little over anxious about her tomato plants and planted them too early and they are pretty big yeah, already. We're seeing that a lot. So a lot of times you'll plant them, they'll grow up in your in your house and they get sort of long and lanky. Yeah. Now, don't worry, you can still save them. We actually will do something called trenching your tomatoes. And if you want to look that up online, you can do that. Just called trenching your tomatoes. Basically, you could take those bottom sets of leaves off and you could take a larger pot and plant them deeper, almost up to the first set of leaves on the top of the plant and they'll actually get little bumps and roots all the way down the side of the plant and it will make it a stronger healthier plant so you could definitely trench your tomatoes put them into a larger size pot and uh, that will definitely help now remember if you planted them into cell trays this might take up quite a bit of space too so make sure that you put them in a space where you can get some nice light Hopefully our temperatures are going to be nice and warm now, so you'll be able to put them out during the day and bring them in at night. So put them in a nice tray that you can do that as well too. The other thing to make sure you do is have a fan in the area. That's really important. Get some airflow going and that will help with eliminating any fungus gnats that are in the area, but it also gets them used to that weather and makes them sturdier and Yeah, stronger. kind of like mimics the wind yeah, moving exactly. them, right? Awesome. I think, that's very, I think that's very important what you just said, Jill, is that if it's above five degrees, you know, five, six degrees uh, outside during the day, 
put them outside during the day. That that'll help them bush out, and mm-hmm. it'll help them to just to be more sturdier. Because they also have the little wind outside that'll that'll do it, and they also have a little bit of cooler temperatures will help. You don't want to down blow them plus six as long as it's above plus six. They'll be fine outside for the day, and then bring them in at nighttime again. Yeah. I have growers that grow tomatoes in cold frames, which means that the sides kind of fold up. And then I have growers that grow them in like nice uh, climate controlled greenhouses. And you can tell the difference in those tomatoes because um, we call them the, the tomatoes that grown in that area. They're a little bit harder, like they're a bit more sturdier, thicker plant because they've been used to the cold weather already. So that's hardening your plants off. It's what you want to do to get them ready to go outside. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. But when we get back, I saw a thing about people planting their tomatoes upside down Ooh. on TikTok that yeah. I've got to ask you about. Okay. So send yeah. in your questions if you got them. The number is one 332 8255 I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke, and you're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Thanks for listening this morning. It's a beautiful Sunday. I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick Van Dyvendyke and Jill Van Dyvendyke. If you have a question, feel free to give us a phone call or send us a text. The number is one 332 8255 So Rick and Jill, the other day I was scrolling through TikTok and this video popped up of this girl planting her tomatoes, but she took a hanging pot, put a hole in it. Yeah, a cocoa liner pot. Yeah. And then put the tomato plant in upside down and my mind was blown. I didn't realize that this was a thing you could do. So it's funny how fashion the 90s are coming back <laughs> and gardening trends from the 90s are also coming back. So this is a trend that we used to, we saw in the early 90s and planting your tomato upside down. Now, a lot of people do that because if it grows upside down, it will eliminate some like bugs and funguses and stuff like that because it's kind of hanging from the bottom of your pot. Um, but it's important you choose the right variety. This works best with cherry tomatoes because the tomatoes on them aren't as heavy so they're not going to weigh down the plant but also choosing a cherry tomato variety that is in uh, that is determinant so there's two types of tomatoes there's an indeterminate variety which grows up 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 the plant gets huge and there's no trimming and you have to stake them and then there's a determinant variety which does not require pruning and staking it's more of a bush variety tomato so that's the type that you want to use choose a cherry cherry tomato plant it in the bottom and then on the top you can put some herbs in there too and uh, you will have some great tomatoes a great way to like do some urban gardening with your tomatoes as well too i love that and then you can hang it like next to your strawberry pot whatever. Now, biggest thing with that is fertilize, 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 because <laughs> yes. you are going to be watering that hanging basket quite a bit and that plant will need food or else you're going to get blossom and rot and cracking on those tomatoes. Awesome. And, and, just, and also make sure that your 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 hook in, in wherever you're hanging from is a strong enough hook because it may not be that heavy when you first put it up there, but it'll be a lot heavier once you get a full crop on it. Yeah, and when it's full of water, too, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, We've got a text here from Jocelyn. Uh, I have a question about perennials. Should I have cut them down in the fall, or can I cut them back to the ground now? I still have lily tree sticks standing. Do they regrow up the same stalk? No. Perennials, you always want to cut them from the base. They're different than shrubs that way, where shrubs will grow off of their old growth, where perennials grow die back to the ground every year and grow up. So anything like your daylilies, your hostas, your lily, um, your astilbes, your um, sedums, any of those um, perennials, you want to cut them right back down to the ground. You can do that in the fall, or I like to do it in the spring because then the leaves can catch some of the snowfall and give them a little extra insulation. But if you see any of those dead leaves, cut them right back, or those stems on those lilies, cut them right back to ground level, and they'll come back again from the base. And that's the same as that's the same as your grasses, like your Carl Forrester grasses, and that's yeah, just blue fest. 
trim them right to the ground, as tight as you can to the ground. Yeah. Okay, we've got another question here from Paul in Saskatoon. Two questions. My squash and cucumbers are flowering. I'm picking off the flowers to hold them off. Is that okay? Um, you can pick off the flowers. I, you you want to make sure that you don't pick off all the flowers. Um, so I would probably leave one or two of them. But pick off the flowers. You can even pick off some of the leaves if they're getting too big. Um, it will help put more energy into the growth of the roots in the plant. All right. Mike in Kindersley has an interesting question. I've seen a lot of people doing this lately. What are your thoughts on changing your grass over to clover? Um, clover is not super hardy here in Saskatchewan. So it's a great idea um, because it requires a little bit less maintenance and everything like that. But you're going to find if you want that even look like what you get with grass, you're not going to achieve it necessarily with clover. So... Um, so that's yeah, one thing. It's gonna it's gonna have a lot of winter kill in it. Rick, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, my neighbor. He's they're they're actually planting clover because they have they have four beehives. So they wanted the, the clover there for the bees. Yeah. And so yeah, they're they're having a little bit of trouble getting established, but uh, but you you have to keep on. Now there is there is coming out new varieties that you can you can get clover that that is made for Saskatchewan. Yeah. And and I suggest if you're gonna get clover, you probably the best place to get clover would be Early's Farmer Garden Center in Saskatoon. Because they actually bring the blends in and they blend some of the clovers themselves so that they're actually hardy for Saskatchewan. Yeah, good point. Um, I want, would you be able to blend clover with grass so that you get a little bit more even look, but it's, or would that be hard because you still have to mow it? Yeah, the problem with, with clover is that some of the some of the ones you might buy in, in a packet of seeds that aren't aren't for local, they may be able to grow in the shady spots rather than mm-hmm. the sunny spots. So you want a type of clover that's going to grow both in the sun or shade. So that's why you want to get the blend that you might get from that is that is brought in that's that's made for our climate. And uh, but yeah, it is a bit more work, but yeah, you can get it to establish. But I mean, it's just like I said, you will get. Times when patches will die out, you might have to reseed them again um, in that way. But I mean, it, like I said, my neighbors are growing it for because they have bees, and that's why they wanted the clover for. So, so it might be something that you have a yearly job of overseeding, just uh, early spring, just to make sure it stays nice and thick, right? And you know, you know, down in down in Palm Springs, those they they, they reseed their lawns every year. Mm-hmm. Like they they kill them down and they reseed them every year because they got they're just too hot in the summer, and then it's, it's cooler in the winter time. So they have to reseed their lawns every year anyway. So, I mean, we're, we're not used to that. We usually seed our grass and we're done with it forever, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but there is other other parts of the, of the world where they do have to reseed. And, and so it's not a big deal to reseed something like the, the clover just to get it to refill in again. So this might be a silly question, but it is like kind of a trend right now. You'll see people online doing this. What's the point? Like, is it less maintenance than grass once it's established? Or why do people make the switch? Yeah, it's less maintenance. Um, You don't have to mow it. Uh, It's supposed to be more sustainable water-wise, too. So um, it will will grow that way. The other thing that people are starting to do is they're starting to plant something that's going to grow. It's going to cover. It's going to help with soil erosion as well, too. So that's why that's why we're doing that. Awesome. Okay, we have Debbie on the line right now in Regina. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. What's your question? I have a question about aphids. Uh, we had troubles with trees in the front yard uh, with aphids, and the city did spray them. But now I've had them in my Virginia creepers that I have growing on my chain link fence in my backyard. So how soon can I spray for them and what is recommended? 
there's two ways you can do it. One is if you're going to spray, you want to start spraying it just as soon as the leaves start popping open and when they're about half their size, the normal size. Okay. So the, the aphids will be there because they lay, they, aphids lay eggs in the fall. It's the only yep. time they lay eggs. And once those eggs hatch, they actually uh, they hatch out as, with pregnant aphids, and then they then after the summertime they, they now they give birth to more pregnant aphids. Yeah. And so they're, they're asexual. So all of a sudden it doesn't only takes a matter of weeks, and you have multiple generations. Yeah. And so you want to get them. You want to get the first generations under control. Now, if okay. you don't want to spray, if you don't want to spray, the best thing to do is make sure you put a bird bath in the yard right away. Put some little wren houses around so you attract the little birds around, and then okay. they will keep a lot of those. Those uh, those aphids under control, and we also have. There's also a thing you can get in a lot of the garden centers now. You can get praying mantis, and the praying mantis is going to creep. But now, once you start using some of these ladybugs and praying mantis that you release, then you're not going to be spraying because you're going to just gonna kill those bugs yeah. as well, right? Yeah. But yeah. otherwise, if you if you don't want to go the, the, the with the with the biological type, then you use a product called it, it's what's called Ambush. But now uh, it's the name has changed to Bug X. Okay. And uh, it comes in a blue box, and um, and then it's it's the reason why I say ambush for it because it's pyrethrin is is more safe for you, okay, and okay. Uh, and so just give them a spray, and if you do that about every every fourteen days, and then you yeah. will have con- more control. And the biggest okay. thing with any bug is you want to be scouting. Their life cycle is about 10 to 14 days. So about 10 to 14 days, mark your calendar and be going out and scouting. And then it's staying on top of it. You don't want to yeah. eliminate the bugs completely, but keeping them at a level that is manageable. And that's what's important to do to make things balanced. Okay. And you guys carry that product? Yes, we do. And we carry the ladybugs um, later on in the season. And we also have uh, the praying mantis already too. Okay. Okay. That's interesting too. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much for the call, Debbie. Uh, All right. We've got a quick question here from Michelle in the Battlefords. When is the safest time for me to cut back my perennial roses? Um, Your perennial roses, uh, you want to be cutting them back in the spring about a third and because they'll bloom on the new growth. So now is a good time to do it. And then make sure you get some rose fertilizer Um, because they bloom on the new growth. You want to get a fertilizer that's specifically for roses and then that will help promote new growth as well, too. Awesome. Okay. And one more question before we break for the news. Tom from Saskatoon. Our starter tomatoes are quite big, but not too bushy. Is there any way that I can promote them to bush out? Um, biggest thing with that is really watch your watering. You want to get a good, strong root system too. And if you're just watering little bits at a time, the roots are going to stay really shallow. So you want to do thorough waterings, get a good solid root system, and then start fertilizing. That will be really important and make sure you have enough light. Um, the other thing too is if it, the temperature is too warm in the area, um, you're going to find they're going to stretch. They're going to get really big. But if you decrease your temperature, you're going to find that they're going to stay shorter longer. Awesome. And how, how often should you be Fertilizing those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just when you're fertilizing them, how often? One thing you should be careful, though, too, is that use an organic vegetable Mm -hmm. fertilizer when you're fertilizing those. Don't use a 20-20-20 because that second number, which is phosphorus, inside the house will make them stretch like crazy. That's correct. So that phosphorus, you want low. So that's why I like using more of an organic vegetable fertilizer. Then you won't get the stretching so bad either. Awesome. And how often should you fertilize them, Rick? I would do about once every two weeks. 
Perfect. Yeah. In, a, in a pot, if you're watering quite a bit, you can even do it more often than that. You might want to do it every fourth or fifth watering with even a, a, the diluted amount, you know, like a half rate of your fertilizer, of what it says on the instructions. Sounds good. All right. If you have a question, feel free to give us a call, one 332 8255 I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke, and you're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. Thanks for listening to Garden Talk on this beautiful Sunday. My name is Brittany Cafe. I'm here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke. It's a pretty special anniversary for Dutch growers going on right now, isn't it? Yeah, and you were actually reminiscing about that. You said one of your favorite Garden Talk shows was when my opa, Ari Van Dyvendyke, the founder of Dutch Growers, came onto the show and he basically just told stories. And I was thinking we should do that again. But uh, no, it's really exciting. Next um, Saturday, we are having our open house and slash birthday party. 70 years in business. Uh, started with my oh. grandfather and then his four kids took over the business. And then my father's, me, my sister, my brother, we bought into the business in 2005 and grew the business again, added so many different elements to the business when we did that. And now we're celebrating 70 years, something so much to be proud for. And it's so amazing to see a business that is thriving, that I can see, um, surviving through many more generations to come. So next week we have um, a free kids class is happening so people can come bring their kids. um, It will sort of color a little pot and plant a plant and take that home for free. And that is happening from 11 till till 2. And we have seminars happening throughout the day. So you can go onto our website and register for these seminars. Rick will be teaching one on pruning. I'll be doing one on container gardening and also some of my perennial favorites. Um, So those will be happening throughout the day. And then from uh, one till two, um, we'll be doing some cake cutting as well, too. So you can come in for a, a bite of some cake. Yep. And the, my my father, the founder of Dutch Growers, you'll be there helping to cut the cake as well. Yeah. Oh, it'll awesome. be a fun family event. Uh, just we're really excited to celebrate this kind of milestone of being around for 70 years. It's so great. what, what day is that all going on next week? It's going on on the 29th. Perfect. The 29th. Yes, sorry. I didn't have my calendar open. Oh, that's okay. The 29th, yes, of next Saturday. Awesome. All right. Let's get back to the phone lines. If you have a question, give us a call. The number is 1-877-332-8255. We've got Norris on the line in Hendon. Good morning, Norris. Good morning. I talked to you last week, Rick, about uh, you told me to use copper sulfate on Saskatoon bushes. That's correct. I went to a garden center and I got garden sulfate. Is that the same thing? No, garden sulfur, there's two different things. Right beside the garden sulfur, there would be some what's called Bordeaux. And Bordeaux is copper sulfate. Bordeaux is copper sulfate. Yeah, it's called Bordeaux. Okay, very good. Yep, that's what you want. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Let's head to the text line now. Darcy in North Battleford. I have some fairly large honeysuckle bushes that I would like to trim back and move to a different location. When is the best time to do this? Oh, that's a perfect question because as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. As soon as the frost is out of the ground and and because the snow came so early last fall, a lot of places, especially around the yard, the frost didn't go very deep in the ground, so you can move as soon as possible. So if you can move it as soon as the snow disappears and it's a little bit drier out in the yard, go do it as soon as possible before those plants start to bud out. And are you trimming it before you move it or move it and then trim it afterwards? It's it's easier to trim it before you move it. Give it a good trimming, trim it right back and then move it and then it's a lot easier to handle. 
All right. We have another text from Mike from Regina. I have a little pine shrub and the top was a bit affected by the snow glare. I've tried to keep it covered, but I'm wondering if it will recover on its own or should I hit it with some fertilizer in a few weeks? Yeah, I hit it. you're going to need to hit a fertilizer starting around May the 10th. You want to fertilize it every three weeks right up until July the 15th, and then you stop fertilizing. You'll have uh, the, the, the needles would have turned brown from the, from the reflection and desiccated a bit on the, on the needles. That's why they turn brown. But the buds are fine. They won't be dried out, so the buds will come back, and it will fill back out again. But water and fertilizer is so, so important throughout the season. Yep. Keeping it moist but not wet. That's the big key. Some people want to go the totally opposite direction. So probe the soil, make sure that it needs water. And like, like I say about, you know, so watering, I can never tell people, you know, how often to water because, you know, sometimes the sprinklers hit it. Sometimes, you know, you're watering it. Sometimes it rains. So basically stick your finger in the soil or use a piece of rebar in the soil to figure out when the soil needs moisture. Uh, then just add your moisture as needed because even the ones, the front yard might be different than the backyard. So that's why you need to really check the soil. Just don't look at the surface. Don't just touch the surface. You've got to actually probe the soil down about six to eight inches and find out what the soil moisture is there. Yeah, that's so important. I think watering is one of our biggest things that we get questions about, and that affects the life of our trees and our where it's planted, what type of soil it is. If you have mulch on your plants or don't have mulch on your plants, these are all affecting how much you're watering your plants. So have a little piece of rebar in your yard so that you can stick it down to check your trees and shrubs. I think that, that trick, Rick, that you've kind of taught us is... So, so important. Yeah, especially if you got landscape fabric underneath the mulch. Mm-hmm. It's going to hold the moisture even longer there. And so poking that rebar through the fabric will help to aerate the soil underneath as well. Yeah, you have to be almost like a little bit of a detective going around and yeah. checking every area, making sure you're doing the right thing yeah. for each plant. And then getting to know your yard. And then once you get to know them, you'll know the cycles as well, too. Perfect. Okay, we've got a text here from Jackie in Saskatoon. When can I turn my water back on for outside? <laughs> if, if I if I knew that question, I'd be a weatherman. Yeah, no, you'd be a rich man with a crystal ball. Yeah, but we want to wait till your nighttime temperatures are staying about two to three degrees, um, so that things aren't freezing. If you do turn it on and we get a cold night, I mean, you can cover your manifolds and things like that up. But if it's going to be dropping down to like that ten degrees, you might want to blow them out again. So I would su- I would suggest most houses have a tap that's on its own, that's on not on your underground sprinklers manifold. Mm-hmm. If you can turn that one on and then go and you know take a hose around and water what you need to water that's perfect but uh turning that manifold on right now um like i said unless you got some insulation that you can put around that manifold uh in case the temperature drops down to minus 10 again which it can very easily do uh i hate to say that but uh but it can happen then so you just want to be very careful i mean everybody woke up with minus temperatures this morning so uh, you just want to be careful about that. Whereas a tap that you by itself, you can always turn it on and then you can go turn it back off again inside the house and then open your tap outside to drain it out and it'll be just fine. Welcome to Saskatchewan where it can be minus 15 <laughs> yeah. and plus 15 all in one day. <laughs> um, Jackie's also wondering, can she move Forrester gra- Carl Forrester grass now? Yes, now is a great time to do it when it's dormant and make sure that when you are doing it, you cut it right back as far as you can. So it's just little stuff. And so that when the new grass grows, it's going to grow from the bottom. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard to get all that old grass out of there. 
Perfect. And one last question from Jackie. I have aphids on my pepper plants in the house. Is there anything I can spray on them to help with that? Yeah, you'll want to get a product called Endol. I like this one because it has uh, the yep. pyrethrin and the canola oil in it. So it's going to coat coat those bugs and and, and everything very well. Um, and again, you'll be wanting to scout about every 10 days. Um, so keep an eye on it about every 10 days and look for those. Um, but Endol is the name of the product. It's a safer's product. Safe to use in the house. Um, it does have canola oil in it, so make sure you protect your furniture and stuff. Just put a little bag or a cloth underneath and or bring them into a bathtub um, or out onto the deck when you're spraying them. All right. If one you thing, have what one thing I like about that, uh, Brittany, is that you want to turn it on the side a bit because the aphids are hiding underneath. If you just spray the tops, you're not going to get them because it has to coat the bug, so it basically suffocates them. It yeah. basically makes them so that they can't breathe. Yeah. So spray till dripping. Um, with that, you don't necessarily need to spray the soil, um, but spray the plant on the top and then sort of tip it upside down and spray the bottom of the plant too. Perfect. All right. If you have a question, feel free to give us a call. one 332 8255 I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke, and you're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Sunday. I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke. We're getting a lot of questions in, so if you want to get yours answered right away, you can give us a call, one 332 8255 We've got a question here from Lynn in Battleford. Um, good morning. I purchased three African violets, and the edges of both the old and new tiny leaves are dry and crispy. What could be causing this and what can I do? Okay, so that's usually caused by environmental issues. So it could be a few things, but I'm going to just sort of walk you through it. The first thing you want to do is you want to check your soil. Um, make sure that if it's too wet or too dry. Um, sometimes we'll see funguses um, that are that sort of go through the the leaves and they'll start doing that. So if you're you're watering too often, that will be one thing. The other thing that will do that is our houses are very dry in the winter. So lack of humidity will also do that. So putting a little pebble tray underneath them, which is just a tray with pebbles on it and then adding water or putting a bucket of water beside that some humidity can come up and around the plant, that will be really important for your African violets. Um, The other one is too much fertilizer will do that. And then the last one is uh, sun scorch will do that as well, too. So there's a bunch of different factors that can do it. So you kind of got to be a detective with it um, and kind of figure out what it is. But African violets, the other thing is, is they don't like any water on their leaves. So when you're watering them, water them from the bottom. Make sure you are bottom watering them. How do you want a bottom water, Jill? Um, you can fill a, a sink or a bowl up with water and set your plant in the in the in the bowl and there's holes in the bottom of the pot and it will soak up right to the top and then take it out, let it drain. Make sure you do not have the plant sitting in water for a long period of time. It's only for about 10, 15 minutes and then take it out. So I have some African violets in my house that are beautiful. They're so happy. They bloom all year round, which always mystifies Rick. That's right. Jay (laughs) is the orchid guru and you are the African violet guru. But I've noticed that the leaves are disgusting because they've almost got like this little bit of fuzz on them that Mm -hmm. seems to really catch the dust because you can't really get them wet. I'm at a loss. How do I, how do I clean this plant? Well, I saw a little hack one time and, and you should try this. Uh, so you just do a light mist. You don't want to do anything that's going to, you want it to be able to evaporate within 10, 15 seconds. So just a light mist and then take a really light paintbrush, something that's really fuzzy and dust them off with a paintbrush. So try Ooh. that. 
Hey, I'll try it and I will report back to you <laughs> yes. guys. But you don't want to take a cloth and wipe them because you're going to damage the leaf. They don't like a lot of pressure on their leaves or else you're just going to damage that leaf. But just a little paintbrush will work fine for you. You could all, you can also use some canned air, but just make sure that you're not really close to the leaf so you don't damage the leaf yeah. as well. Sometimes that canned air can come out pretty cold, so you got to watch yep. that too. Perfect. All right. So this time of year, everyone's kind of gearing up, getting ready to get out, get their yard looking beautiful. Pruning is going to be a big thing on the top of people's minds this this season, right, Rick? Yeah, I'm just sitting in Winnipeg right now out in the front yard, and I'm just looking at in a residential area, and I'm just looking at all the different shrubs and trees in everybody's front yards right now. And, uh, yeah, like this right in front of me, there's cauliflower, the grass is not trimmed down yet. The roses and nine barks haven't been trimmed. So that was a great time. Like I said, I'm just looking all down the street here, and, and uh, I'm seeing a lot of plants that, that need to be trimmed. And, and so now, because the weather has been so uh, cooler this spring, now is a great time to get out there. As soon as that snow disappears... And and even if the snow is out there, it doesn't really matter. Get out there because the plants are all sticking out uh, of most of it, the most of the snow now. So you can go and give your nine barks and your dogwoods and and um, your your spireas and the cauliflower grasses. You can give them all a good trimming down. Just remember that you don't want to trim down any of your uh, lilacs or early blooming shrubs like double flowering plums, uh, flowering almonds, their forsythia, because they the forsythia is going to start blooming in about another week. So they bloom with one of the first plants to start blooming right as soon as the snow disappears. But so if you give them a trimming now, you're going to cut all your flowers away. So I like to trim them right after they finish blooming. Like forsythia, you'll be you'll be trimming that back about you know the first or second week in May. Um, whereas the lilacs, you're not going to be pruning those until almost until into June. And so when they finish their bloom, and then what you do is give them a trimming then. Then you give them fertilizer, get them to get growth up again, and then you'll have way more blooms even the next year again. So that's important. And even on your trees, uh, I'm just looking here down the street here, all the trees are totally dormant yet. And so all your ash trees, your lindens, your flowering crabs, you can give them all your apple trees, you can give them all pruning yet. The only trees you do not want to do right now is birches and maples. Uh, I'm looking across the street at a beautiful birch tree right now, and if I trim that one, it'll bleed like crazy and make a mess all over your yard and make all the all the white bark turn black from all the sap being all over it. So uh, trim them as soon as the leaves get to their full size. So you're looking around uh, about July the 1st when they're all... June fifteenth, July first, when the when the those maples and birches have their leaves of post, their full size, then you can trim them then. Perfect. And you can do that. You can do that trimming right up until um, to the end of September. Okay, sounds good. All right, we're gonna head to the phone lines right now. We've got Karen in Emerald Park on the line. Good morning, Karen. Uh, good morning. What's your question? My question is my hibiscus plant. I know that it's common for the leaves to turn yellow, and that's what's happening right now. I don't know whether I'm overwatering, underwatering. Doesn't matter whether I water it, then they turn yellow. I let it dry out, they turn yellow. It has um, probably 15, 16 blooms on it right now, or buds to bloom. It's healthy otherwise, but it's losing a lot of leaves. It does show a lot of new growth, but how can I stop this from happening or... 
What am I doing wrong? Now, one thing I would do is I would pop it out of that pot just gently because it's blooming right now. You don't want to ruffle the root system too much. And just examine your root system. Sometimes what we'll notice is that it has a really shallow root system. And that's just from giving it, especially over the wintertime, we'll give it a cup of water at a time. And so then the water, the roots all stay near the surface. Now, um, that works great. But we don't see things happening bad to our plants until a long time down the road. The other thing that can happen with that too is if your pot doesn't have enough drainage in it as well too. So um, you'll start seeing a little bit of rot in the bottom of your pot. The roots will be sort of a darker color and when you sort of sort of push them with your hands, they'll just sort of flake off and that's okay. a sign that you're overwatering or you don't have enough drainage. The other thing with hibiscus is they're sen- sensitive to some of the salts that are in our fertilizers. So if we have them in a pot, especially indoors, we're not watering them so that the fertile the water's coming out the bottom of the pot and leaching those salts out of my out of our out of our plant. And that will affect the plant long term as well too. So taking oh. it outside or into a bathtub and watering it enough so that the water is coming out the bottom and that's okay. called leaching your plant. And you want to do that every once in a while. Um, the biggest thing that we do find with yellow leaves is not enough sunlight. And uh, so supplementing in the winter with some uh, grow lights works well. Um, putting them in a south or west window is what you kind of need. Oh, it's got sounds, tons of sun. Sounds right. like that's what you're doing. Um, yeah. But too much water, not enough water, um, and lack of sunlight, those are the biggest things will, that will cause it to turn yellow. Make sure you're fertilizing them often. The more you water, the more you can fertilize. Oh, okay. um, even using an organic fertilizer, I find, rather than uh, a water-soluble um, synthetic fertilizer, it works really good with those. I've been using that earth medicine. Okay. So yeah. that would yep. be organic, correct? Yeah, I would use yep. that for sure. Okay, and thank you. Sure and one more question. You. Uh, your cel- anniversary celebrations, congratulations. Thank you. Will that be held in Regina and Saskatoon? I believe uh, Regina is holding their open house um, on next Saturday as well, so they're going to have some different events. You can check out theirs. We are two separate locations run completely independently, um, okay. but I believe they are having their open house in Regina as well, and we're having the birthday celebration in Saskatoon. Okay, well, thank you, and congratulations. I enjoy the program. Thank you. Thanks so much, Karen. All right, we're going to take a quick break for the news. Give us a call if you'd like to answer, have us answer your questions, one 332 I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke, and you're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Sunday. I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke. We have Maria on the line out in Hague. Good morning, Maria. Hi. What's your question? I have uh, five amaryllis bulbs that bloom during the winter. Some of them bloom two or three times uh, uh, each flower, each uh, bulb. Anyhow, I'm wondering, is are they going to, sh- I'm going to save them. Like, they're still quite green and stuff. They're, the, the foliage is dying back. Uh, is it safe to leave them till next winter and put them in again? Yeah, so what you want to do with those is you can treat them like any regular house plant or you can plant them outside in your garden in sort of a part sun shady location. And then you want to dig them up about, uh, I would say about September before they hit the frost and let the, decrease your watering. You can even leave them out like you would a dahlia bulb and let them dry up. Let the leaves go back into the bulb, put them into cold storage for about six to eight weeks and then they will be ready to plant up and bloom again. 
So I can put them out into the garden for the summer then? Absolutely, you can. Just uh, give them a good wash down with like a, a safer soap or um, even a Dawn dish soap um, afterwards just sort of to get any bugs that are on the on the leaves. And then okay. uh, and then you're you're ready to go to put them into cold storage and get them started up again for Yeah, I've never had them I I've never had them bloom more than once in the winter, but anyhow this was kind of special, so I will save them then. Yeah, save them. My bloom mine bloomed about two or three times as well too. So good job. You oh, got a really? good bulb and over the years the bigger they'll get the bulb will get bigger and bigger and the bigger the bulb the bigger the flowers too. So okay, when, when thank you, you so you, much. When and when you plant them out in the garden, make sure you put some bone meal with them too. Just give them lots of energy to okay. reproduce next yeah, year. Got, again, okay. Yeah, I do have some. Okay. Real good. good then. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you for your call. Thanks, Maria. All right. If you have a question, give us a call. one 332 8255 We have Doris now out in Abbey. Good morning, Doris. Good morning. I enjoy your program every Sunday. Um, I've got some blue spruce trees that are about 20 feet tall on the edge of my farmyard here and last fall I noticed a couple of them had brown needles on the one side of the two trees just on one side now I'm wondering if it wasn't from spray drift and I'm wondering, are those needles going to come back on or fill in or what? Yeah, it depends. It depends what happened to them. If it's on one side, it, it may have been spray drift. Uh, if that's the case, hopefully what will happen is that your your buds, it depends when they got sprayed, uh, but a lot, they set their buds in August of the previous year, okay? Okay. So the buds might be fine, and so what will happen is those brown needles will fall off, but you'll get the new buds will come out, and then they'll start growing. So what you want to do is for that plant there, you want to be able to get the water to it, whether you're using a tank or you get a hose out to it, and keep it moist. It's going to be supposed to be a dry summer this year again. So keep it moist, and also uh, use some fertilizer around that tree as well to get the, some growth. And you want to put that fertilizer down around the, at least around the 10th to 15th of May because they put all their growth on in June. So you want the, you want the banquet table set before they start doing all the growth in June. So you want to make sure you get them like, fertilizer down right away. If you're on a farm, a good fertilizer to use is the same fertilizer you'd use if you grow canola because it has a sulfur base to it. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and that's... And that's sulfur. The spruces love the sulfur. They love to have the pH a little bit lower. And so just that same fertilizer you put around uh, your canola crops, you could sprinkle some of that around the tree as well. Well, how far away from the trunk? You'd basically put it not right at the trunk, but at the what called the drip line of the tree. So oh, okay. the edge of the branches go about two feet in and about three feet outside the branches. Oh, and a okay. ring all around the tree, and that's where you spread your fertilizer. And then if you can do that just before rain, or otherwise put a tank out there and water it in afterwards, then the plants will do really well. Well, they should have lots of moisture because there was about five feet of snow around yeah, those trees. This spring, and in fact, there's still some, about two if, feet of snow there yet. <laughs> if if there's two feet of snow there yet, get some of that farm fertilizer and put it on top of the snow right now. Oh, and that will help. That will help bring it down into the soil right away this spring, and then that that way you don't have to worry about watering or waiting for the rain. Oh, okay. It okay. wouldn't have been those mites. Uh, might you would start seeing more from the inside going out, oh, not just on one okay. side of the tree. 
no the only other thing, the only the thing, outside yeah, of the it, trees. Uh, yeah, yeah. So one, that's yeah, why I one, think it was spray yeah. drift. Yeah, I think if it's one side, the other one it can be is called needle cast disease, but it wouldn't be just one side. It would be all. Yeah, through the well, trees. these are just on the one side on the west side of two trees. Yeah. So well, it just it just yeah. sounds to me like it was spray drift. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. Unless there was some damage to the roots on that side, like you cultivator down too deep or something like that on that one side. Oh but yeah. Other, well, I yeah, don't think that, it would have been that, but okay. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of spraying going on all year round now. Yeah, so just make right sure you from fertilize spring it. till after fall. Yeah, the, so fertilize the farmers are spraying. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay, then. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Thank so you so much for, your for the call. call, Doris. All right, we're going to head to the text line now. We have a text here from Brenda in Estevan. What is a good fertilizer to put into the ground with a slow release for pre-planting perennials or shrubs? Well, there's a few that you can use. You can use a granular um, fertilizer um, that we have. When there's some some great ones that we have by a company called Dirt and Grow by Evolve, and they're organic fertilizers. And I have some different. Um, I don't know the the actual ones on the off the top of my heads, but if you go there, there's some for perennials, there's some for flowering plants. Um, but they're a great slow release fertilizer um, that you can put down for for those ones. Perfect. All right, a question here from Mike in Regina, and this seems to be a a common issue people are having this year. I started my tomatoes too early and they're flowering now. What do I do? Do I have to hand pollinate them or do any other maintenance? No, what I would do is I would, the biggest thing is make sure you're transplanting them up to a bigger pot size so that the plant is not going to get long, spindly and lanky. So make sure you're doing that. You can trench your tomatoes like I talked about earlier. So just look up online how to trench your tomatoes. It's burying them deeper so the stem is in the soil deeper when you transplant and that will give you a sturdier healthier plant and then the other big thing is reducing the temperature putting them out during the day bringing them in at night um, that will help them keep short them shorter and sturdier um, yes you may have planted them early no you don't necessarily need to pollinate them um, if you want to you can take a little q-tip and start going around and and doing that um, yourself but um, we still have lots of growing season to come so uh, d- don't worry the biggest thing is just keep consistent, um, transplant them up into a larger pot, fertilize water, and give them lots of sunlight. All right. If you have a question, feel free to give us a call, one 332 8255 I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke, and you're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Sunday. I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke. Okay, while I've got the two experts with me, I selfishly have to ask for advice for my <laughs> own yard. Uh, so this summer, I am hoping to start a garden bed. We've kind of been doing container gardening. We've got some little like eave trough boxes up on our fence, but I want a bigger garden bed. And are you wanting a garden bed for trees and shrubs or are you wanting to do vegetables? Vegetables. Okay. So I'm kind of debating between, do we just like, you know, rototiller the ground and put something in the ground? Do we do a raised bed? What's better? 
Well, there's, you can do a little bit of everything. Um, if whatever works for you. Now, one of the things that you want to watch is like how big of an area do you want it? it the type of soil that you want to put in. Sometimes I find raised beds are, are better for, um, different crops, like your, your leafy vegetables, your tomatoes, those types of things can grow a little bit better. But if you're wanting to do, to, um, potatoes or carrots or things like that, they grow a little bit better just straight in the ground. So what, what are, what type of vegetables are you want to grow? That would be the first question question. I think a mix. So what I'm hearing is that I'm going to have to convince my husband to do both an in-ground and raised or you can just Or you can just do a, a ground one. Now, the first thing you said is you said that your area has grass on it already, yes. right? So you'll want to dig up the grass, first of all, and then check to see what the soil underneath looks like. You'll want to rototill that soil up. Um, you'll want to make sure you get some nice organic, put some compost in there and get it so that it's it's good, fresh soil. It's not like sandy, about like six inches down or clay six inches down. You want a good, about 12 to 14 inches of good soil. Okay. Okay. So once you have that, then you're ready to start growing in that area. So that's basically and, 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 about it. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people, because they might only have two inches of soil or three inches of soil. So that's why when you put the raised garden, it just makes it a little bit easier to put more of that soil so that the plants you have a good growing mix. And also that soil warms up quicker. So usually you can get a better, quicker start mm-hmm. and a faster crop, you know, in, in a raised garden than you can in the ground. Yeah. So Brittany, if your husband does not want to dig down as much to dig out some of the bad soil, then you might decide you want to do a raised grad bed. Why don't you do that? And then okay. you'd also have to haul the other dirt away. Like It sounds a little bit easier to put just a raised bed. Yeah. And with that, again, still get rid of the get rid of the grass on the top. You don't need to put landscape fabric down um, and then just build it up and then fill it with some good soil and then you should be set. Um, if, you, but, if you're going to grow, and if that planter, if you're going to grow things in it like garlic and things like that, then just put some styrofoam on the, on, the, on the inside of the walls of your planter bed and that'll help keep the frost from going sideways and, and getting things like your garlic bulbs, which we like to plant even in the fall, right? And so that'll just help protect them as well. But raised beds are great as well. They save your back, especially as as you age. So thinking about the longevity of your garden too, you might not need to be bending down and being on your hands and knees as much. A raised garden is great for those things as well too. Perfect. Some great tips. If you have a question, you can give us a call. one 332 8255 We're going to head to our text line because we've got a lot of questions coming in. This one is from Wendy in White City. I had many red lily beetles last year. Does beetle be gone work to kill them or should I just keep on picking by hand? Yeah, the, the beetle be gone works well. They're, they're actually... They're, the, the, the universities are working on a, a, a parasitical wasp that will help take care of that. Now, they're doing experiments and working with Agriculture Canada uh, because they are they have those bugs. The little It's a tiny little wasp. It's a parasitical wasp. You can barely even see it. And it goes after that lily beetle. But they're, So they're trying to make sure that it is safe to release into our area. But for now, the best thing to do is you, on the back of the side of the leaves, you'll see these little rows of orange eggs. To just scrape them off with your fingernail and drop them onto a, a sheet or something like that, so you can gather them. And uh, otherwise, you can just use your your um, your bug bug X, which is your ambush, spray it every ten days, and uh, but don't hit the flowers. And then you can help control that as well. And you want to start doing that, looking for them as soon as you start. If they're growing inside, you'll want to watch them early. If they go outside the garden, you'll be wanting to watch them as soon as you start getting those that new growth and the sort of the leaves come up and the buds yep. start forming. Don't don't wait don't wait until they're 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 three two two feet tall or three feet tall. No. Spray them. Start spraying them as soon as they start popping out of the ground. Yeah. 
Okay. Here's a text from Marie from Prince Albert. I have slugs doing a lot of damage in my garden. I don't want to use chemicals. I've tried coffee grounds and eggshells. Do you have any other suggestions? One of the things that I've heard that you can definitely do is you take a little like um, pie plate and fill it up with beer and put it out at night and then they will actually go to gravitate to that area, then you can collect them and remove them. So going and picking them, but you have to pick them at night. During the day, they kind of hide. Yeah, get one of those head, headlight fly, you know, those ones, those headband flashlights, and go out there and take some rubber gloves and a pail, and you'll catch them at night, and you'll pick lots of them there. Otherwise, you can also use, there's little strips of copper you can put down. They don't like having copper, so you can use actually bands of copper you can put down. Uh, that works good. And also now the new slug baits that are out there right now, they're also safe now for pets. So you don't yeah. have to worry about pets. Now, that was the big issue we had with the slug baits before, is that they weren't safe for pets. But now the new ones, all those old ones, are those old ones that weren't safe are gone. And now all the ones that are out there now are safe for pets. Remember when you used to pay me a quarter for a bucket of weeds, Dad? Maybe yeah. that's what they should do. <laughs> Find some neighborhood kids and uh, give them some money to, to go pick them with the headlamps on at night. That's yeah, a fun I, task. I don't know if a quarter would do it with inflation <laughs> these days. No, they'd want it. They'd want a toonie, something they could at least buy something with. Right? Yeah. All right. We're going to head back to the phone lines. We've got Jacob in East End. I just hung up on Rick Davis. So can you give him a call and get him back on? All right. Um, Jacob, I'm going to put you back on hold and I'll pick you back up once we get to Rick. All right. Um, we have... A question here from B from Hudson Bay. Um, I left all the growth on my perennials last fall. How soon can I remove that this spring without new growth freezing? You want to d- remove the new growth immediately. So you can cut it right down right now. Um, I'm going out. I have my daylilies and my sedums. They were looking so good in the fall. So I didn't cut them back. I'm going out there right now. I'm going to cut everything right back to the ground. That's the important thing to do as soon as possible. Perfect. Okay, we've got Rick back now, and we've got Jacob on the line now. Good morning, Jacob. Hey, how are you doing today? Good, thanks. What's your question? Well, basically, uh, we planted some trees a couple of years ago, and one of them is an apple tree that's got three three different grafted apples on it. Yep. And one is a cherry tree. And I heard you last week on the radio saying it's time to prune your trees, and I'm, I don't know how to begin to start. So can you advise? Yeah, so what you want to do is with the, with the apple trees and even the cherry tree, just go in to thin it out a bit so you can go and uh, and just any branches that are crossing. Okay, that's the first thing I'll do is to thin it out by taking any crossing branches. I'll take one of them out. And then also um, I'll take any, any, if you don't want some of the apple trees or the plums or whatever you have, any suckers that are coming from the base, you want to trim those out. And then also if there's any branches that are going way out to the side that they're getting too wide, now's the time to give it a, give it a shaping and cut some of those branches out that might be too long and all the fruit's starting to weigh it down on the branches that. The cherry trees, uh, just thinning them out and let them, cause they come up from the bottom all the time. And so just thinning them out, uh, and then just, uh, so more light can get into the, into the center of the tree. And then even just a bit of a shaping if you want to. And that's all you really need to do. It's fairly simple. Just don't be afraid. They love to be trimmed. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for the call, Jacob. All right. Back to the text line. Susan and Regina has a question about radishes. They form well, but when I cut them, they're hard and cracked inside. No visible worms. I grow them in a raised garden bed about two feet deep in full sun. What's going wrong? 
Yeah, you. What you may want to do if it's a raised garden, it depends what you if you got straight topsoil in it or you have a mix in there. So um, they like to be more in just a, in more of a straight topsoil with some compost in it. Mm-hmm. So that's what you one thing got to make sure. One thing got to watch for radishes is that you watch your moisture. You don't want it too wet or too dry because too wet or too dry will make them also not not form properly and then you'll get especially if it's too dry you'll get that you'll get that um, you'll get where they get sort of hard and, and almost like woody inside right and one thing you do about radishes too is that uh, you can also um, just like lettuce and that kind of stuff plant part of your crop you know when you first plant and then hold back some of your seeds and leave the row there and then plant some this week plant some the next week and plant some the following week and then you'll have a better crop all the way through Perfect. All right. If you have a question, give us a call. one 332 8255 I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke, and you're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. Hope you're having a great Sunday so far. I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke. Dutch Growers is celebrating a pretty big anniversary right now, and we got the nicest text in from Daryl. Thank you, Daryl. <laughs> Daryl says, Dutch Growers is 70 years old. Wow. Rick looks pretty good for his age. Very alert, too. <laughs> hey, thanks, thanks Daryl. <laughs> I love it. Rick, Rick is second generation. I am third generation, and my grandfather is first generation adding <laughs> yeah. up to the 70 years so but I, and, I love that humor thank you Daryl yeah. and, and also in Regina you got Tim and Karen and Carson and Rylan and, yes and they're all uh, they're they're um, second they're and third in, generation down there too in Regina as well so Perfect. There we go. But you you look good, Rick. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> That's our takeaway. Very young and spry, chasing after your grandkids. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to head to the phone lines. If you have a question, you can give us a call, one 332 8255 We have Tammy on the line in Saskatoon. Good morning, Tammy. Good morning. Congratulations on your anniversary. Thank you so much for all of the information you share with us to help us out. Thank you. You're welcome. I have red currants that have been growing wild for like 10 or 20 years. And uh, is there any way I can rejuvenate them? Absolutely. Trim them back if you want right away, as soon as possible, before they start budding out. And you can cut them back uh, at least one-third to one-half. And then give them a shaping, thin them out a little bit, and they'll come back, especially if you fertilize them. Uh, give them a, shot, a couple shots of fertilizer here uh, starting around May the 10th, and they will grow up and fill out. You won't get as many berries this year, uh, but next year you'll have uh, a full crop again. Okay. They, do you know what the um, clove current looks like? The clo- clove current, you said? Yeah. Do you know what their growing habit looks like? They they just kind of grow up like all frondy. Yeah. And so yeah. these are like so thick, they look almost like that. So how much should I thin them out? Just thin them out. Take a th- take a third of it out. Okay. So yeah. cut them back by a third and take yeah. out a third. Take out a third. Don't be afraid to do that. They'll come right back. Not a problem. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Perfect. You're welcome. Thanks so much for the call, Tammy. All right. Now we have Lydia on the line in Fort Quapel. Good morning, Lydia. Oh, good morning. And congratulations on your anniversary. I wanted to ask about my peonies. I have uh, last last summer, they developed a white chalky film on, on the leaves. And uh, some were some were quite white, and, and it was starting to spread to my other peonies, so I cut them back. 
is there anything will that stuff come back or what can I do with it? How do you treat that? Yeah, it's called, it's called a powdery mildew and it's a fungus that gets on the leaves and it's usually ca- caused by um, too much moisture in the plant or on the leaves of the plant. So you might even have some excess water that's sat on them. Um, make sure you're watering them um, in the morning so that the water can um, sort of evaporate off. So if you have a sprinkler system or you're watering the grass and they're getting hit, doing that in the morning so that they can evaporate off is a really good way to prevent that from happening. If you have a really bad, you can use a garden fungicide on there as well too and give them a good spray with the garden fungicide and then just keep keep on top of it too. As soon as you start seeing a little bit, um, just give them a little spray with that garden fungicide. And, and the fungicide you can use, there's two different types. One is called uh, garden sulfur, which is a powdery mix of water, mm-hmm. or there's one called garden guard, which is in a ready-to-use bottle and you just spray it on as well. Okay. Does that hook up to my hose? Yep, you can hook it up to your hose if you use if you mix it with. The, we have a special instructions for using the powder and putting mm-hmm. in your hose and sprayer, and it works really well too. Oh, okay, all right. Thank you very much. Perfect. Thanks for the call, Lydia. All right, heading back to the text line now. Um, no name on this one, but we seem to have vole damage in our lawn this year. What do we do to repair the damage, and is there a way to prevent this from happening again next year? Yeah, so what you want to do is just to lightly rake those areas up because it's all little tunnels of of grass all over the place. So rake them up lightly, and then if you still find some leaf-long pasture where the dirt is exposed, just get a little bit of grass seed and, and just sprinkle it into those areas. You can start doing that right now, and then that will fill in a lot quicker. And then to stop them uh, next year from coming in, put some traps out, just wooden, cheap little wooden traps, put peanut butter on and a little craisin or raisin on top of the peanut butter, and put those uh, traps traps into a, a, a box or you know underneath something so that the the so that the the birds don't eat, get caught in the traps and then you'll catch them the voles don't like poison that much they do like the peanut butter with craisin or raisin and you'll catch lots of them and uh, even a shoebox you can put them inside something like that and then that way you can bring the numbers down and start doing that you can do that some you put a couple out just during the summertime but especially after september 1st that's when they start moving in then you want to get the numbers down then all right we've got a text here from julian battleford her apple tree she thinks the voles ate the bark about two inches wide and four inches tall is there anything that can be done to repair that if the bark's been eaten off the tree at the base yeah, that happened to me at the garden center. I had some probably 35-year-old Espalier apple trees. I know, I saw that. I'm so sad. Yeah, it was, I'm just, I was, I cried. Oh. And, uh, but those trees, what'll happen is that they will live for one year. And because there's enough energy in the bark, they'll even produce fruit this year. And especially depending on how old the tree is. And then the second year, once we get the hot sun in the, in the sun in the, in the summertime, uh, they'll just dry up and die. Um, when they took that much bark off, it's, pretty hard what you can do if you want um you can take some if you some people have tried it and you can take some little strips of bark off other parts of the tree and then you can kind of graft them on in little strips up and down and then also in the other parts of the wood that's uh that's not exposed that you don't have strips on you can actually put some some uh some wrap on them like a tree wrap or even some pruning paint on there just to keep it for the the, the wood from drying out too quickly Okay, sounds good. A text here from Jean in Regina. I'm curious, when is the best time I should be using dormant oil for summer or late summer tent caterpillar control? 
Yeah, a dormitory you have to use pretty quickly. So as soon as the temperature is above zero, you can and before the plants start to bud out, you have to put it on. Once the trees bud out, the actual dormant oil will will uh, will suppress the leaves as well. So you don't want to use it then. You want to just use it on the on the on the on the wood of the plant, not on the leaves. So you want to do that. You may have to hook up a hose inside the house where your washer and dryer is, and run it out the window and use a hose and sprayer. That's the easiest way. And the dormant oil kit. It comes with lime sulfur and dormant oil. It works really good, especially if you're trying to uh, treat things like uh, like uh, even black knot and those kind of things. But if you're just going after the insects, you can just use straight dormant oil. Now, with that one there, if we're having plus temperatures during the day but negative temperatures at night, can you still use it, or does it have to yep. be plus temperatures all across the board? Nope. This is just as long as you put it on and it can dry uh, when it's still uh, plus temperatures. That's all you need to. That's all you need. So this week coming up might be perfect. Perfect time. Awesome. All right. A text here from Vicki from Bethune. I have shrubs that didn't get cut back last fall and now they have buds coming up. Can they still be cut back or am I too late? No, if you do it right away. So you want to do it this weekend or the next couple of days because by the middle of the week here it's going to get in, into double digit temperatures. Uh, but you can still do it this week even if there's a few buds coming on, not a problem. Perfect. All right. Feel free to give us a call. one 332 I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke, and you're listening to Garden Talk on 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke. We've still got a lot of questions to answer, so we're going to hop right to the phone line. We've got Gord on the line in Saskatoon. Good morning, Gord. Hi. Uh, I have a small orchard in my farm, uh, and the voles have decimated my cherries. Uh, virtually 100% of them have been attacked, and about 90% have been completely ringed. Yes. Uh, is there any point in letting them try and produce fruit, or should I just take them, take them down now and hope for some regrowth? Well, they will regrow. That's not the one about cherries, that they will grow from the base again, okay? Now, what you can do for this year, there might be enough energy in, in those, uh, in those rings, in those, in the branches themselves, especially if they're, they're older ones that the, they may still produce this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it depends on how hot it gets this summer, okay? Whether they can sustain it, you know? Yeah. Um, but but otherwise, you if if you find that they start dying off, you just trim them off, and but they will start suckering up from the from the base again, and then uh, but it's going to take you a couple of years before you're going to get the harvest again. Okay. Oh yeah, I, I uh, know that. Uh, I know the process because I had a porcupine yeah. take a bunch out a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But this so this year they were they were just trying to to produce a, a bumper crop. Beautiful. Uh, they had recovered yeah. nicely, and then of course the voles moved in and. This yeah, totally destroyed it. Yeah, because that snow came so early this year. If you ever get that ever again, make sure that you put some of your put some little uh, boxes out there with some uh, with some traps in them. You know, out around the trees, uh, or, or otherwise, because it's pretty hard. You can also use a product called Scoot. Or one is called skilled, which is it's a spray you can spray onto the trunks, and it makes the 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 bark taste bitter, and they don't like it. Okay. Yeah, I, I need mean, uh, the uh, hot chili pepper powder yep. uh, on the basis in previous years with some success. 
Yes. So that that's what all the other ones are basically have peppers and, and garlics and cayennes and all that kind of stuff in it. And uh so that'll that'll make it so that they won't like it at all. But uh that that's but the problem this year was the snow came early and it was like it made it so like it was like Bermuda underneath that snow cover for them. And so uh the years that we get an early snow cover is years we'll have the worst damage. And okay. so if you, ever that happens again you gotta do something about it to protect those trees. Yeah, woulda, coulda, coulda, didn't. Yeah, I know. It's a tough one. Okay, well, thanks. Awesome. Thanks so much for the call, Gord. All right, now we've got Joe on the line in Prince Albert. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. A couple of quick questions. I have a large tree that I want to trim some lower branches on. Just wanted to know if I'm too early or too late. What type of tree is it? Do you know? Uh, I don't. It's a, uh, uh, it has needles that drop in the winter. Okay. Uh, I think it's a larch. So a large tree. Yeah, you could trim that right now. Not a problem. Okay. Not great. a problem at all. Hollyhocks are coming up. They're about a foot high on the south side of my house. Last yeah. year they grew to about 10 feet. Um, yep. Anyway, I can kind of trim them throughout the summer. Uh, you can definitely uh, trim some of your hollyhocks, and, and that will help them with bushing and branching. Just make sure you trim them like right underneath a node, and then they'll sort of branch out from that area. Okay, the node is the, uh, the where the leaf comes out of the stem. The, okay, yeah. great. All right, thanks a lot. Awesome, thanks for the call, Joe. Have a good day. All right, heading back to the text line. This one is from Terry in Saskatoon. We've had issues with sparrows chewing off our beet plants when they're very young. We've tried some netting, but birds seem to get caught in it. Do you have any other ideas to help? Yeah, the other one's called a crop cover. Okay, you can use that uh, early, but I mean the netting is probably the best. You just have to get a finer netting, uh, not don't get a wide netting. So it has to be a fine netting so that the birds can't go get caught in. But can you and the with the netting, too? making sure that they put it nice and tight over the tree that will, or the bush that will help as well too. Yeah, or in the garden, you know, you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you put some soil on top of it so they can't get underneath it. Okay. And so we have these uh, uh, conches. Conches is it called? It's it's one that has a it's a crop cover that has the wires like a little hoop house for like a greenhouse type of thing. Uh, they work good to help hold it up off off the crop as well. And then um, and then uh, that way the the you, your plants can grow good, but keep the insects or the birds off of them as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. Here is a text from Linda from Saskatoon. Just a question about all of those beneficial insects that are hiding right now. If you are cutting back your perennials right now, today, is that going to do damage to those insects that are hiding in the beds? Most of those insects. You can can trim them back as long as you don't pick up all the leaves and other debris, uh, at least until uh, until the other plants start biting out. Once they start bunning out, then you can go because then there'll be lots of other insects that'll come out right away that they can feed on. Okay, perfect. All right. Uh, no name on this one, but I have a 15-year-old elm that got hit hard last year by sap suckers. If I cut it back to the ground, will it sucker that I so that I can save one to start a new tree there? Okay, so this was what type of tree you said? An elm. It was 15 years tree. old, yeah, and it was hit hard by sap suckers. Yep, yep. The problem with elm trees is that we're not allowed to trim them until next September, okay? We have a we have a law in Saskatchewan that you cannot prune elm trees from April 1st to September 1st because otherwise what will happen is they will bleed, and then that the bleeding will attract what's called the elm beetle. And the elm beetle brings Dutch elm disease with it. So you want so that, that's why we have that law in Saskatchewan, so that if you trim it, 
you can't trim it because you can't bring it to the landfill. You can't store it in your yard, those branches or anything like that. You have to actually take them to the landfill and bury them in the fall, okay, uh, or burn them or something like that. So the best thing to do is just, just leave it right now, wait until next September, and then you can trim them and do whatever you want then. It's not a problem. All right. Question here from Larry in Melfort. Is there anything I can do about the night crawlers that have infested my entire lawn? Yeah, put a bird bath out right now. Get it out there right away. Robins and, uh, in your yard. Yeah. Attract the robins to your yard. The robins are the best way to keep those numbers down because we used to have a product called Seven around, but we can't get that product anymore. Mm-hmm. And that used to be able to get some of them. So just attract the robins to your yard. Bird baths. They love to have a bird bath in the yard. And if you have that, you'll bring the robins, and then you'll take care of all those night crawlers for you. Perfect. Okay, a question here from Norma from Regina. My mugu pines have little white specks on the leaves, which is leading to dry leaves. What can I do? Yeah, that's called scale, okay? So you have to wait to the, to the scale. Uh, what happens is that white specks, while they look like paint flecks, you can't do anything, but you watch for them. Uh, and it's later on in, in the middle of summertime, you'll see those paint flecks will turn to fuzzy. And they'll be have a little fuzziness to them. That's when they're in a crawling stage. Once in the crawling stage, then you can use the bug X, either malathione or the pyrethrin, either one of them, and that'll just take care of them right away. They're easy to kill when they're in the crawling stage, but when they're in the when they're hard stage, you can't touch them. And they usually have about them. a fourteen day life cycle, so you'll want to be scouting those a little bit about fourteen days yep. later as well, too. Yep. Perfect. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. You guys do have some fun stuff coming up this coming week at Dutch Growers yeah. to celebrate the 70th anniversary. We're going to have right? some cake, join us for seminars, and bring the kids out and some plants and plants, too. We're doing that from 1030 till 4 on Saturday, the 29th. So come and join us at the Garden Center. Yeah, that's in Saskatoon, and then they have an open house as well in the Regina Garden Center as well. Perfect. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to Garden Talk. I'm Brittany Cafe here with Rick and Jill Van Dyvendyke on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.